everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? In Southern California, it was snowing where oh. they haven't seen snow in the 30 years that they've been living down there. It is chilly today, which was weird because it's been warm. And then all of a sudden, like today, it's like 56 here, 56 Fahrenheit. And I'm like, no bueno. <laughs> don't love it. <laughs> we have lots of rain right now. Really? A lot of rain. So much so that the puppy didn't want to go outside in the rain. It rained here the other day for like the first time in a long time. <laughs> oh, rain is good. not frequent here, but it's cool when it comes. Yeah. My birthday's this week. Did I tell you that? Oh, no. Happy early birthday. Thank you. I think when this episode goes out, it'll be like that day, probably March 1st. That's my birthday. Aw. Yep. And I'm already going through a midlife crisis. So anyway, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about debugging, specifically in Rails applications. And we thought this would be a good topic because I was debugging some stuff today and it came up and we've kind of talked around debugging, I think a lot, but I thought it'd be good to have straight up debugging episode. So Julia, I'll ask you this question. When you get an error, like you get that red Rails error screen, what do you do first? The first thing I do is read the error. There you go. Perfect. I glaze. When I read things, I read in like chunks almost and I have like some speed reading background. And so I read really weird. So sometimes the error message tells you exactly what's going on and it takes me like an hour to find that. (laughs) But yes, reading the error message is important. That's step number one because it will give you some hints and it's usually a lot more helpful than it appears to be at first. Sometimes Rails will just suggest the answer, which is nice. But if it doesn't, and you got to read that error message and start digging. What debugging tool do you use? I am very fond of binding.irb or binding.pry to go in and try to understand what my code is doing. I think the problem is my code is messy to begin with. So sometimes it's hard for me to know where the problem lies. And it's actually really interesting. I ran into an error this morning. I was trying to add a form for a specific model that's nested inside of another model. So like in my side project, I have a stand-up model Mm -hmm. and then I have some entries for that stand-up. And I was trying to make it so that I can edit this entry. So I took it to the edit stand-up entry path and I passed it a stand-up model and a stand-up entry model pulled from the params so that I can get the specific entry. But My error is coming back with something like no implicit conversion of symbol into integer. And I read that error and I was like, that doesn't mean anything to me. So the the first thing I did was just remove some stuff and see what happens when I do that. I I tried to do the binding.pry and seeing like, am I sending the correct standup? Am I sending the correct entry? And that all seemed to check out, but I still haven't figured out why it's giving me that error. No implicit conversion of symbol into integer is what you said, right? Yeah. So that means that somewhere it's trying to convert a symbol into an integer, which you cannot do implicitly. There are some things in Ruby that will like implicitly transfer over to like other formats. So like, I don't want to give an example because I can't remember exactly. I think integer and string will go over implicitly. I'm pretty sure actually. And so will like true and false as strings will, I think, usually implicitly 
maybe not. I don't know. Some things will implicitly trans over like rails or Ruby can like implicitly be like, okay, well they pass in a string, but like it, this needs a symbol. So we'll handle that for you. But in this case, whatever is happening, it's specifically trying to take a symbol and turn it into an integer, which you would need to call dot two ion to explicitly say, Hey, you're an integer, not a symbol. I don't know what's going on in your code, but when I hear that error message, that's the first thing I'm like, okay, so something is trying to convert this into an integer or a symbol or something. And now where is that happening? But you're right. Like the first step is like, I usually start with pry. I use pry a lot. A few other ones that come onto the top of my head are puts debugging, which is just putting print statements, which is usually how I debug JavaScript, Mm. but just putting like strings in your code and then running the code and seeing what comes out in your logs. And then using binding pry, binding RB, there's the new debug gem, which is pretty cool that is now in Ruby 3, I believe. So that's an option. And there's a few other ones. Web console is something that comes built into Rails. So when you get that red error screen, there's usually like a console at the bottom of the page. It's a Rails console. So you can type in instance variables, things like that, and see like the state of things where the program broke. Whoa, I just tried it out. That's really cool. Yep. I didn't have Uh, to do the binding.pry in that case because the reason why I was doing binding.pry was to find out what standup it was getting back. Yep, that's an option. The only problem with that is if you're using current attributes, which you would know if you are, then there are issues with Web Console. But if you don't have any issues with that, then Web Console is perfect to quickly grok what's going on, right? Because if something's nil, then you can quickly see right there, oh, it is nil. Or figure out what's nil. Or use like some of the commands you might use in the Rails console to see like the state of your instance variables and anything else going on and the requests and stuff like that. So that's an option. And then you got your tools like pry and debug and IRB. And then you have your debuggers. Like RubyMine used to be the only big one where it's a fully integrated Ruby IDE and you could do debugging in that. The debugging Rails applications has always been hard. And the new debug gem, I think, is making that a lot easier. And there's also now you can use the new debug gem in VS Code. So you can actually use the VS Code debugger, which is pretty nice. That comes built in. So... Lots of options for debugging. I just wanted to run through a list of them. Have you tried the debug gem? I have. There are things about it. I like that I can use it in VS Code, but because I am a creature of habit, I often just pull out pry. I am a huge pry user. Always have been. So binding.pry just comes naturally to me. Cool. Sounds Uh, like a new gem I can check out. Yep. If you have a new Rails app, it should be in there by default, I believe, in your gem file. Julie's looking. Debug. I do have it. Okay. I just need to figure out how to use it. I'm pretty sure it hooks into that. So if you type binding.irb, I think it uses the new debug stuff. Nice. Okay. I I do use binding.irb. There's a few binding options for it. Yeah. You can look into it. It's pretty cool. There's a video by Justin Searles on how to integrate into VS Code. I'll put that in the show notes. But yeah, I use Pry a lot. So yeah, that's my favorite. Have you ever run into a bug? That fixes itself when you restart the server. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the turn it off and turn it back on. Yeah. Ooh, those bug me. I'm I was just I think thinking about like the types of bugs that really throw me for a while. And it's definitely the ones where like, wait here, sidetrack. You use Spring. Oh, I've tried to use Spring, but 
but it didn't work the way I wanted to. Also, it was for a work app. So I don't know what I was doing wrong there. I have in my dot files disable spring in an environment variable because I have run into so many issues with spring hashing things like in the past. It's not worth it to me at this point. So I know a lot of people who are like, oh, eventually you can figure it out what is causing issues, whether it's caused by spring or whether it's caused by something else. But I have no interest in that. So that's a class of bugs that I just quickly like now I know it will never be spring because I'm not using spring and I don't use it. And what is spring again? Spring helps with local speed, the rate at which your tests speed up, the rate at which your app speed, like boots up and things like that. I think it does like, I'm assuming caching, it's caching something, but I'm not exactly sure what it's doing under the hood. All I know is it's supposed to make your development experience faster for the app. But it also comes with downsides because of whatever it's doing under the hood can sometimes cause like the state of things to be weird. And then all of a sudden you turn off Spring and everything works. So I haven't used Spring in years, I don't think. Have you ever worked for hours on a bug to finally give up for a minute, walk away and then come back and it's fixed? Yes. Along with that problem is the problem of like, you give up and you're finally like, hey, can you look at this, whoever you are? And then they look at it. And when you're showing them an example of what it is, (laughs) it just works. And then you're like (laughs) smacking your head on the table. Hi there, Julie here. I would like to take a moment to thank GoReels for sponsoring this episode. When I was first starting out, I struggled with finding up-to-date content to help me level up. Then I learned about GoReels. Not only does GoReels provide new screencasts weekly, they also have two fantastic instructors that break down complex topics into digestible chunks. On top of that, I really appreciate when they explain the whys behind the subject. One of my favorite walkthroughs is creating your first Ruby gem from scratch. What a great way to learn by stripping down to just the basics. If you care about leveling up as a Ruby engineer, you can't go wrong with GoRails. Check it out at GoRails.com. I don't know what happened to my app, but I did a migration to add a column to a table. And that column is a start date column Mm -hmm. with a date time type. And I ran the migration. I went to go to a instance of that table. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Like a, one of the entries in the table, one of the rows. Yeah. One of those entries. Yeah. One row. I went to update the start date to have a start date because they're all nil at this point and it wouldn't work. And I tried looking at the SQL query and I can see that the SQL query did not include updating the date time for this column. And I doing all of this Googling and trying all these different things. I even had a Okay, if you're using Postgres, you can run this command to update it and it like bypasses bypasses certain validations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I did that and it seemingly updated this time. So I went and updated it for all my models or instances or entries. I updated it for all my entries and it was a lot of entries for having to do this manually. And then I go and I load up my page and it's still not showing the way that it was supposed to. I think it turned out I can't remember if it like it looked like it saved it, but then in the column, it still showed nil. I spent like a couple hours on this. I went to bed, I come back, and then all of a sudden, it was working fine. Nice. I don't know the reason for that. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, those are fun. I think just walking away 
a lot of people are like, just sleep on it. That's not the way I do it. Sometimes I just walk away or go on a walk outside or just play like a round of video games or something. And then the answer will just like smack me in the head. So it's hard to do that when you're in the thick of it, when you're like, ah, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. But like, you're probably not. And maybe stepping away, let your brain, your subconscious just kind of chew on it. I think that's a low key. It's a good tip. It's hard to do though, when you're in the thick of it. I have a huge problem with trying to walk away from something like that. The other thing I wanted to mention related to like doing puts debugging is like that's going out to the logs, really. So one thing that I really like to do, especially for deprecating methods in models or other objects, is active support has something called active support deprecation. And what it will do is it's specific deprecation message that will go into the logs. But a lot of times when I'm deprecating a column, I will do whatever I'm doing to like, so we're not using this column anymore. And then I will add an active support deprecation to that existing method so that whenever it's called, I can see in the logs like, oh, and it's like a special color if you have color turned on in the Rails console. And it's a nice way of being able to find out everything that's calling that, especially if you have like some service you use to look through production logs And so that you can then grep through and see everywhere that's being called in production. And the other thing is sending it to your error monitoring. So like if we would send an alert to Honey Badger, it'd be like, hey, this method was called here. It's deprecated, whatever your error message is. But that's a great way to be like, I don't know if this code's running. That's a great way to find out if it's running in production by doing like active support deprecations or sending alerts to your error monitoring service, in our case, Honey Badger. And... That's a nice way to debug too. It's a little slower, but a lot of times in Rails, I find myself, is this method being called? I have no idea, but it's here. And that's a great way to find out. I'll have to look up how to do that. One thing that you mentioned before was using sandbox mode on the Rails console in production. That's a great way. If you're debugging in production, which is not fun, but is necessary sometimes. Using sandbox mode is a great way to just play around with everything and make sure that nothing gets saved. I need to remember to do that more than I do. But I think one of the hardest parts of debugging is like recreating a certain thing. Our customer had this problem. We have this bug. How do I now create that environment locally? What do you do when you get something like that? Where do you even start? We did have that recently. And unfortunately, we were never able to replicate it. But what we would do is just keep trying to do what we think is the user state. And if you have like the impersonation function to like tap into what the user sees, then trying to see, for example, if they have XYZ courses completed, but not P, then maybe I would try to replicate that same thing and then and seeing if I could Get the same bug that they did. Yeah. Those are always the ones that take the longest time. They're the most frustrating, especially if a third-party service comes into play, like Stripe. Then you're in like a world of pain Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you've got all these external factors like their IP and like, you know, where they're at and the cars they're using and this and that and this and that. And it's hard to like figure out even what happened. The hardest part of debugging is like stopping and like truly figuring out what happened And for me, it's also not letting an assumption I have at the very beginning drive me completely. I'll have like an assumption of what's going on, 
But if you don't let that be like an idea, instead of like, I think this is going on, let me prove this is going on, then you might miss Mm. out what's actually happening. And that has screwed me a lot. That's a good point. Do you have an example of a time where that happened to you? This is a whole saga, but there was a third party service that we had control over and it was an absolute nightmare. It was the hardest work I've ever had to work with. It was just, my God, it was so complicated. And it was at the point in this debugging adventure where there's so many other services that we've created, that other people have created in this workflow that I'm trying to debug, that it's almost impossible to figure out what's going on. And because things are failing up front, but then failing in another place later, how do I even get this record to like the position I need it to be in order to even execute this workflow that is causing this bug? And I used a lot of validate false. (laughs) So that's what allows you to save records and bypass validations and active record. And I did in production, (laughs) which also came back to bite me, but it didn't really matter at that point because it was already just such a food bar situation. But I had this assumption that the file was too big that we were trying to send over. And no matter what I did, I could not prove that, but I still truly believed that. But there was no way for me to back it up. It turned out that was not why, but that was like an indicator as to what the actual bug was. And that's what I was missing out on is that it wasn't the cause. It was like an effect. The file being too big was in addition to what the actual issue was. But I spent weeks on this. This was one of those things that it was awful. It was awful. One of the hardest things I've ever had to try to figure out ever, hands down. So a follow-up question would be, at what point do you bring another team member on to help you debug? Sometimes I need to reach out right now because I can't figure out what's going on. But then I get on the phone and I'm missing information or I'm not explaining myself correctly. And so one thing that I've tried to get a lot better about is if I'm calling in someone else for help debugging my code, then I'm going to write down what the issue is. And then I'm going to write down how I've tried to fix it. And a lot of times I figure it out doing that. It's not that I need the other person. It's that like I need to talk it out out loud, explain it, and then like walk mm-hmm. through it linearly. And then all of a sudden the problem like presents itself or like I see something that I missed before. But it's usually when I'm like backed up against the wall, whether it's taken too long, if I have an idea of how long I want this to take and it's past that time, then that might be the time to reach out. Or if I've tried everything and I can't figure it out, or if it's in an area of the code that I have no idea about and there's someone else on the team who has a lot more experience in that area, because if they have the answer instantly, then what's the point in you spinning your wheels for two hours? Mm-hmm. So several factors, but... I think also like if you're angry, (laughs) set up, those are the times to reach out for help because that other person will probably calm you down, also help you kind of get back into the frame of mind you need to. Yeah. Sometimes I think when you're looking into a bug, you're just so narrow focused that you don't see the big picture or maybe see there's another thing that you should be looking into. This also kind of reminds me of our getting unblocked episode so we can refer people to that. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime should not be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform 
so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Yeah, you heard me, free. A big thank you to Honey Badger for sponsoring this episode of Ruby for All. You have to isolate the problem. I think that's really Mm -hmm. the key to all of it is like once you isolate the actual problem, then you can decide what to do next. But until you've done that, it's kind of just like jumping around the code, jumping around the app, trying to figure out what's happening. Where is this method? What is this doing? What are these models? What's the actual error? Where is it? And there's some things I have never solved. (laughs) And I think that's okay. There are a lot of things, actually, especially when you have to recreate things in production where you're like, I can't figure this out. I can't recreate this. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I guess that's the time to talk to the customer if you have that option. One thing that we have our customers do is send in the web console sometimes. If they're tech savvy, we're like, hey, it would aid us in debugging you if you take a screenshot of the browser console. Like, Get the customer to help you, basically, is what I'm saying. And bring in other people. Like there have been bugs that I've had where I've had to talk to like dev advocates or developers at companies before. That can be great or the worst. It depends on the company. But yeah, I don't know. Like when you're stuck, stuck, that's when you know it's time to get help. Do you ever use different browsers to figure out things? I don't know. Like I yeah. have been using Firefox at work because one day my Chrome stopped working. So I switched to Firefox and then just never went back to Chrome. And I found different bugs that my teams yes. did not find. It used to be that Safari was like the problem child, but like I truly don't believe that anymore. I really think it's Firefox. There are several things in Firefox that don't work, that work in other browsers. And there's certain like web APIs they don't have access to and things like that. First off, you should try to test things in different browsers, but like we're all lazy. I understand that. Like we don't always do that. Mm -hmm. But that has caught me before of like, I can't recreate this no matter what I do. And then I try it in Chrome and then I see the issue. Or then I try it in Firefox and then I see the issue. So that's definitely a great suggestion of like try it in different browsers. Another thing is like, I've run into geocentric issues related to your location. And you can use like a VPN, like Tunnel Bear, to specifically put you in Norway, for instance. Like if your customer's in Norway, there's some specific problem related to something in their location. You know, you can put yourself there or you can set your system time to be in the past or future to try to debug certain time related issues. I've done oh, that that's before. Cool too. So you can change your location. You can change your time. I think that's actually really helpful because we have learners all over the world. Yeah. I solved a bug the other day. I wasn't solving a bug. I was trying to figure out how something worked. And I was basically like, okay, this job, I set things to like run on like one day and then something to run two days out. And there's like a job that I can run to like execute those. But it has to be a day after in order for one of the conditions to be picked up and two days after for the other condition to pick up. So I shift my system Mm -hmm. to the next date, run the job, it picks it up. It's like, oh, because this was created yesterday. So today we run this. And then kept doing that until I figured out exactly what was happening. That's neat. I like that. The thing I was working on, I added a table to my app and for some reason I could not figure out why my form would only work if I refresh the page. I never figured out the problem, but I use Chrome on my personal computer. And so it was not working on Chrome. I then went to 
my work computer because this app is mainly for work that I built. So I tried it in Firefox and then all of a sudden it started working. I still don't know what the problem is, but as long as it's working where I need to use it. Yeah, those can be frustrating. Like I've gotten errors about Chrome downloads not being secure for some reason, but it says it's fine everywhere else. There's weirdness between the browsers. Although it's much nicer than it used to be because I feel like... Because if it works in Chrome, then it's going to work in Edge, I think. So like you kind of only have to test a couple, like the big ones. But yeah, at least we don't have to worry about IE anymore. Yeah, right. Explorer. Do you ever look at the network tab? And what is that thing in the server, all those logs? Like, do you ever look at those? Because I feel like mm-hmm. as a junior, I did not look at them until I started pairing with seniors who are like, okay, open the network tab and let me see this and that. And then also let's go look at the logs and the server and see what's spitting out there. I definitely use like the debugging tools in the browser all the time, constantly. And using the network tab to figure out like what headers are being used or like what the responses are. Is this even executing? Like I had a button the other day, I'm pressing this stupid button and I'm like, it's not working. What's not working? But then I went to the network tab and I realized that me pressing the button wasn't executing the request. And it happened to be like a Z-index issue or whatever. But yes, I 100% use those tools as well. I'll also use tools like... You can get into like more de- advanced debugging log tools like that you can add on your computer. And you can get into more advanced like SQL tools. I guess at the end of the day, it's really like... If you have a lot of tools in your toolbox, you just need to figure out when to pull out which ones. And it's practice. There are certain bugs I can solve instantly just because I've seen them over and over and I've like screwed them up before and now I know what the problem is. I commonly leave commas when out when I'm writing ERB. And so I know that about me. So sometimes I'll get like, hey, syntax broken error. And I'm like, oh, it's probably because I forgot to add a comma. But it's practice. Practice makes perfect. And there are some bugs you will never solve. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah, you have to be okay with it. You may not want to be okay with it, but... Sometimes I'll be like, hey, look, I cannot figure out how to recreate this. This only happened one time. If it happens again, we'll look into it again. But sometimes things just happen and that just happen, right? And then maybe they only happen one time ever and that's just software. So there's a time to throw in the towel, I guess, is my conclusion to this. <laughs> cool. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. If you have any cool debugging ideas or things that you do that we didn't mention, let us know because there are more that I can think of that are really cool. So let us know how you debug and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye everyone.